Hi, and welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we begin, a note that the podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal situation, circumstances, or needs. So, Mark, you found something new to do in lockdown, apart from the 17 webinars that you do a week. Um, you've recently gotten a personal trainer. So how's that going? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's my attempt not to have to be forklifted out of my apartment <laughs> at the end of this thing. But yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I've done, what, four sessions yeah. so far? And it's obviously horribly embarrassing because I'm in Centennial Park and people are sitting there <laughs> and staring at me doing embarrassing things. But I mean, I guess it's going fine. Okay, well, that's good. Um, you were telling me in the soundtrack how you have this case of one-upmanship. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, no, I feel like this is a battle of will. So first yeah. <laughs> of all, the, the personal trainer is the fit fin. Mm -hmm. A little uh, plug. A little plug, yeah. um, even though he told me he's not interested in investing and probably isn't listening. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, after, and this has only been four workouts, he keeps asking me, am I sore? Mm -hmm. And of course, like I'm a cripple, I can barely walk, <laughs> but I tell him, no, I'm not sore at all. And then he says, well, we just need to work harder. So yeah, it's so you're uh, just not going to show up to work one day. I, I will probably die. Like yeah. <laughs> literally, I, this thing ends, and it's sort of it's up in Centennial Park by that kind of Paddington Street mm -hmm. or the Oxford Street end in Paddington, and you hobble home. Well, I like walk out like using all of my energy and willpower, <laughs> like try to walk out normally, and then as soon as I pass the gates, I'm like yeah, crawling yeah. to like the closest like place I can buy a Gatorade. So okay. yeah. You know, going really, really well. But lockdown, this is what lockdown does, apparently. So, should we continue on with the episode? Yeah, why not? Okay, why not? so today we're continuing on with the second part of our two-part series on ETFs. And the purpose of this two-part series is to make sure that all investors, wherever you are in your investing journey, understands what you're investing in and have confidence in your investment strategy. This is especially pertinent with ETFs as over the last few years, we've seen younger investors, those that are early on in their investing journey, using ETFs as their gateway into investing. Right. So in the last episode, we covered the fundamentals and we were just getting started going into the good stuff, right? Taking a deep dive into six different ETFs. So today we're going to continue on with our deep dives and the lessons that we can pull from examining the holdings of an ETF. So, so far, we've covered our first two ETFs, the IOZ, which is the iShares Core S&P ASX 200 and MVW, VanEck Australian Equal Weight ETF. Thank you for laughing at me, Shani. And these are both invested in Australian markets. So we explained the difference between market cap and equal weighted investments. And we also covered whether you were truly diversifying when you were purchasing an ETF, even an ETF with 200 stocks in it. All right. So. We're going to move overseas, which, of course, we obviously can't do, <laughs> um, but uh, we'll do it from an investing standpoint. I made that joke like six times so far. Yeah, during I still this. laugh. I know. I yeah. know. It's, it's more of a passive aggressive joke for me at this point, but we're going to move overseas and we're going to start in the small cap space. We're going to look at this Vanguard Miski International small cap ETF with the ticker symbol VISM. So what are the, some of the things that you notice about this ETF, Shani? Well, this ETF tracks the Miski World X Oz small cap index. So we're looking at investing in countries outside of Australia. So let's start there. 65% of this ETF is invested in the US, just under 11% in Japan, 7% in the UK, and 3.5% in Canada. So while this ETF gives you exposure to a total of 22 different countries, over 80% are in these four countries. And this is something that you should be aware of when you're investing in global indexes that are market cap weighted. 
Since the GFC, the US market has outperformed almost every other market and in a market cap-weighted world, that means that the countries and companies that outperform will represent more of the index. So just know for this ETF and any ETF that's tracking a global index, you're most likely going to have between 60 to 70% of the index made up of US stocks. If you don't want to allocate that much to US, there are options out there, but know you'll have to look for them. Now, is this US allocation a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it's pretty hard to say because, of course, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. But just remember that when investing internationally, you're subject to currency risk. And in this case, that risk is very much differences in the US dollar and Aussie dollar exchange rate. And remember that you want the Aussie dollar to get weaker in relation to all foreign currencies, but especially the US dollar if you are invested overseas. All right, so let's take a peek at the style box. So unsurprisingly, there are some pretty big differences when compared to the first two ETFs that we looked at in the first episode. As the name indicates, we are now at the bottom of the Morningstar style box and looking at balanced small cap shares, which have market values between $300 million and $2 billion. So investing in small caps means investing in small companies. As we pointed out in the third part of our share trilogy, in general, smaller companies have more business risk than larger companies. This increased risk can lead to higher returns as smaller companies often are younger companies and have the opportunity to grow at a speed that many large cap companies can't. But they also fail at a higher rate than large cap companies. So as an investor, you need to look out for volatility, meaning that the business risk in their smaller size means the prices are going to bounce around more. The reward is that over the past 30 years, small cap indexes have outperformed their large cap counterparts. If you're willing to take on some more risk for higher potential returns over the long run, this might be an ETF for you. And let's take a look at sector allocation. There isn't a dominant sector, as we saw in the Aussie ETFs. Industrials make up 18% of the ETF, and that is the largest sector allocation. We also see more even distribution across the three types of sectors that relate to the differences in cyclicality. And then finally, we can look at the individual holdings. In this case, there are 4,263, with the largest holding having only 0.2% of the ETF allocated to it. You're not facing much company-specific risk in an index as large as this one. So investors in this ETF should be prepared for more volatility and the consequences of having such a large exposure to the U.S. However, they don't face any company-specific risk or any pronounced sector-specific risk. Our analysts do love it, and they give it a gold rating, which, of course, is our highest rating. They're especially impressed with Vanguard's ability to navigate the other risks associated with small cap investing, which is the high trading costs and the lack of liquidity that sometimes results from investing in small companies. All right, so we've got three ETFs to go. We are going to turn our attention to a factor ETF now. Vanek Miski Weldex Australia Quality ETF with the ticker symbol of QUAL or QUAL. In this case, the ETF tracks the Miski Weldex Australia Quality Index, which includes large cap companies across the 23 developed countries. What makes this index and the ETF unique is the quality tilt it takes. It invests in shares with high quality scores based on three key fundamental factors, high return on equity, stable year-on-year earnings growth, and low financial leverage. So we covered this topic quite extensively during the third episode of our shares trilogy, but there are certain factors that we can look for that indicate certain things about a company. In this case, the focus is on quality, and it's looking for companies that earn high returns on capital that is invested in the business. Stabilities of earning growth, which indicates lower business risk through less volatility of earnings, and companies that are in good financial shape. The weighting of this index combines the market cap of the company and the score it receives on the quality criteria that we just outlined. This is different. 
And it's using a factor to influence the weighting of an index, which is a good thing if you're interested in getting exposure to that factor and not just the biggest companies. The weight of any single security is capped at 5%. And when we look at the portfolio, we see close to 74% of it is allocated to the U.S. This is high and is around 10% higher than the U.S. allocation percentage for a global index. You should keep that in mind when investing in this ETF. And from a sector perspective, we see an increased allocation to technology, communication services, and healthcare. This does make sense given the way quality is measured, which Mark will get into in a second. The close to 33% allocation to technology is also high and compares to a close to close to 20% allocation in the overall MISCI World X Australia Index. With a factor-based ETF like this one, things start to get a bit more interesting when you start digging into it a little bit. The purpose of this ETF is to focus on quality, so let's see how it actually plays out. We need to compare it to a global index without these factor tilts to see how it measures up. In this case, we can just take the MISCI World X Australia as the index, as Shani just mentioned. And when we talk about quality at Morningstar, we tend to focus on moats, which, as we said during our share trilogy, is something that our analysts assign, but also something that leads to higher returns on invested capital and margins. Now, one of the criteria for inclusion in this ETF is return on equity, which is very similar to return on invested capital and will drive margins higher. So if we start with Moat, we can see that two of the 298 holdings in this ETF, 64% of them have a Morningstar-wide Moat rating, and close to 25% have a narrow Moat rating. That compares to the overall index, where less than 40% have a wide Moat rating, and 25% have a narrow Moat rating. That significantly higher percentage of holdings with a wide Moat indicates that, in our opinion, the ETF does hold quality companies that have a sustainable competitive advantage. If we turn our attention to some of the underlying indications of moats, we also see some differences. The return on invested capital of the companies in the ETF averages close to 24%, while the index is less than 15%. When we look at financial health, we give the companies in the ETF an A rating compared to a B plus for the overall index. We also see stronger growth over the past five years. Cash flow grew from companies in the ETF by 12.7% versus 4.4% for the index. Anything else we should look at with a factor ETF, Mark? Well, in this case, the ETF appears to be doing what it says it does. It is identifying quality companies according to our moat ratings and some other key financial ratios like return on invested capital. However, quality often comes at a price, especially at a time like this when shares have been on a good run. So let's turn our attention to valuation levels. Here we can see that you are, in fact, paying for this quality. Let's take three relative valuation measures, so price to earnings, price to book, and price to cash flows. For price to earnings, Qual is trading at 25 times earnings, while the index is at 19 times earnings. Price to book is 7 times book value versus 2.86 times for the index, although this can be explained by the heavy technology allocation since tech companies generally have less tangible assets and just rely on intellectual property. For price to cash flow, Qual is trading at 18.2 times versus 13.55 times for the index. And it isn't surprising that you're paying more for quality companies with higher growth and more predictability around their cash flow. So paying for quality is pretty standard. And the question, of course, is are you paying too much? However, even though you are paying more, you are getting companies with more durable business models that should hold up better in a recession or when the market is bouncing around a lot. But there are certainly cases in history that the price paid for quality can get out of hand. We've talked about the Nifty 50 crash in the early 70s as an example of that. But remember that even if you bought those 50 quality companies at their peak, you still managed to earn a return that was close to the overall market in the next 25 years. 
And just to get people drinking, there are two (laughs) Buffett quotes we can throw out there that focus on quality and price. He famously said, it's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. But many people don't realize he also said it was only appropriate to point out that no matter how wonderful a business it is, there is always a risk that you will pay a price where it'll take a few years for the business to catch up with the stock, that the stock can get ahead of the business. So I have a question for you, Mark. Okay. Okay. So um, I do have to ask, what do you consider the difference between a factor ETF and a thematic ETF, which we all know you don't like? You know, if you keep talking about these thematic ETFs, I'm mm. going to get a reputation. Yeah. <laughs> I think you already have a reputation. I just spend my time thinking about them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think that they are very different. So a factor ETF is looking at certain variables that help investors with certain objectives. And that's really what you're trying to do in investing. So, you know, we're big proponents of finding the right investments for you and the right investments to help you achieve your goals. So a thematic ETF is supposed to exploit a narrative and a narrative that's well known. It makes intuitive sense to a lot of investors. So this quality ETF we just walked through is looking at finding companies that have lower business risk and have competitive advantages that will accrue to investors over long periods of time. That's a tried and true method to amass long-term wealth. Thematic ETFs are trying to take advantage of hype and investors that want to exploit this hype to take a punt on getting rich quick. That's a recipe for sounding savvy to your mates and on message boards, and it's also a strategy for failing at investing. So a pretty big difference. Well, our analysts give Qual a silver rating. They cite their high conviction on the strategy's ability to deliver long-term outperformance. Morningstar Premium is designed to help you reach your investing goals. Our coverage spans over 50,000 securities and 2,000 funds and ETFs. Sign up to a four-week free trial through the link in the episode notes to access our global equity best ideas for our top picks across borders. Find shares with sustainable, above-average dividend payouts and the best opportunities at home with five-star Aussie stocks. A Morningstar Premium subscription includes a ShareSide investor plan, allowing you to track all of your investment holdings in one place. And take advantage of ShareSide's investment performance and tax reporting that has been built specifically for the needs of self-directed investors. If you love premium after your four-week trial and choose to subscribe, your subscription may be tax-deductible if you derive income from the share market. Sign up for a free trial today. Okay, Shiny, it's time to get ethical. Are you, okay. are you ready? I'm ready. Did you ever see that office skit where Michael Scott and Holly, they do their let's get ethical skit? I haven't, but it's funny that you bring up The Office because just last week, one of our teammates described you as Michael Scott. So. <laughs> yeah, he did. I, I didn't really know how to take that, but that is the same teammate that during a Christmas party mm-hmm. talked about how his culture invented the Kama Sutra. <laughs> I thought I was going to get fired right after that, but yeah, here I still sit. Yeah, before you get to that, how about we just continue on with the episode? (laughs) Okay, so we are going to take a look at the BetaShares Global Sustainability Leaders ETF with the ticker symbol ETHI. And we've done a whole episode on ESG, so if you're not sure what's going on in the ESG investing landscape, then go back and listen to that. But in short, there are a lot of things going on. And there's a lots of different ESG approaches. And in this case, the ETF is tracking the NASDAQ Future Global Sustainability Leaders Index, which is focused on developed markets. This is an index that excludes all sorts of companies that relate to fossil fuels, gambling, alcohol, tobacco, armaments, and junk food, among other things. Yeah, so not an index you'd want to invite to your bucks party. <laughs> 
I guess not, mate. Um, the other thing that is important to note about this index is that it is a market cap weighted index, but there are certain rules in place to prevent one company from making up too much of the index or too little of the index. So the cap is 4% and the floor is 0.5% for each security. So now that we know the index is no fun and how it's weighted, let's start taking a look at what it holds. So we can start with the style box. And we see that this ETF falls in the large cap growth box, although it's right on the border of balanced, so just a little bit of a growth tilt. Once we start looking at sectors, we start to see the impact of the companies that are being excluded from the index. So let's start with a couple sectors where you get almost no exposure in this ETF. Unsurprisingly, you get very little exposure to basic materials at 0.21 of a percent, half a percent utilities, and zero exposure to energy. Also unsurprisingly, you get a lot of exposure to technology at 30%, 25% in financial services, and 16.5% in healthcare. These are all sectors that don't have large carbon footprints, but this also means that you're very exposed to these sectors. And one obvious thing we need to look at is how the shares held in the CTF stand up against ESG criteria. In this case, it scores very highly using our Morningstar ESG criteria. So the CTF certainly checks the box there. The risk in investing in an ESG ETF like this one is that you're excluding a number of companies and even whole industries from the ETF. This smaller universe of shares to choose from is likely going to have an impact on returns. What that impact on returns will be is hard to say. As more of the world moves to ESG investing, you can see the valuation levels of these companies increase, which will, of course, benefit shareholders. However, if there's a rally in the prices of shares that do not fit that criteria, we could see underperformance. We could also see that some of that underperformance as we see a shift from growth to value. So value is overrepresented in a lot of the sectors that are outright excluded or minimally included in this ETF, including utilities, energy, industrials, and consumer defensive. So our analysts give it a bronze rating. So now we can turn our attention to our last ETF, Shawnee. We've made it. The final one. Exactly. All right. So we're looking at Platinum Asia ETF with the ticker symbol of PAXX or PAX. Platinum is one of the two well-known global active managers here in Australia, along with Magellan. And we should be clear that Platinum has been going through a tough spell. And that is true with this ETF where the portfolio manager Joseph Lai left at the end of 2020. In the case of an active ETF, the investment team is, of course, very important as the portfolio manager is choosing what shares the ETF holds. All right, so let's take a look at the process that Platinum is using to choose what shares go into this ETF. So Platinum is trying to identify companies with growth prospects that are underappreciated by the market. So they use quantitative screening to narrow down the field. Then they try to look at themes and emerging trends. And this is a completely unconstrained portfolio, meaning that within Asia, they can choose what countries, sectors, and securities they pick. So let's take a look at this portfolio. Why don't we start with country allocation, Shani? Sure. So this platinum ETF is very much a China play. Over half of the ETF is in Chinese shares. There is also around 12% in South Korea, 11% in India, and close to 8% in Hong Kong. When you're investing internationally, geopolitical risk is something that needs to be at the front of your mind. And we've seen this recently with platinum, which is down close to 14% year to date as the Chinese government starts to crack down on some of these large technology companies. Yeah, and we've seen this with Tencent, the gaming giant, which is down 20% in the last three months, and it's the fourth largest holding in the fund. The largest holding is Taiwan Semiconductor with almost 5% of the ETF, followed by Samsung and AIA Group. With an active ETF, you not only have to worry about the investment team that's selecting the securities, but you should also look at what you're paying. 
Those people selecting the securities are, of course, expensive. In this case, you're paying 1.1% a year, and there is a 15% performance fee on any outperformance at the Nisky Asia X Japan Index. This is very high in general and very high compared to all the other ETFs that we've discussed in these two episodes. Our analysts still have a bronze rating on this ETF, but our conviction has dropped since the key departures on the investment management team. So we've covered a lot of ETFs on these last two episodes, but this is a small portion of the ETFs that are available on the market. But we hope that we've given you a bit of a framework to explore ETFs. Key is to once again understand that an ETF is simply an investment vehicle. It is not an asset class of its own, and they have no characteristics other than what's included in the securities that are held. I keep seeing people putting ETFs in their overall asset allocation along with shares like they are something different. If you want to know the risks of an ETF, look at what it holds and then look at the implications of what it holds. All right. We finished a two-part series. We made it. We need to stop doing these multiple-part series. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next time, we're going to do a one-part series. One part. But anyway, thank you guys for listening to hopefully both of these uh, ETF-related episodes. So a couple things. Once again, thank you for following us on Instagram. Anyone who's out here. I can remember the name, mm-hmm. Morningstar Investor AU. You got it. That is our Instagram uh, account. So please, uh, please follow that. And of course, we would love any ratings or comments or just to share the podcast with your friends and family. So thank you very much for joining this. If I am still alive by the next one and my personal <laughs> trainer has not killed me. You will join me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Might just be Shawnee on her own. Anyway, thank you for joining. Any advice in this podcast is general advice or regulated financial advice under New Zealand law prepared by Morningstar Australasia Proprietary Limited and or Morningstar Research Limited without reference to your financial objectives, situations or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest. To obtain advice for your own situation, contact a financial advisor.